with another episode of Automatic, and we are thrilled to have a special guest, uh, one of my friends who was on my podcast years ago, and that's Dallin Cuff. And uh, Dallin, I know when people say they're busy, I quickly say, you better talk with Dallin Cuff. And then if you can say <laughs> that you're as busy as him, then okay, I understand you might be busy. I mean, but it's great having you here with us. Obviously, you are a busy person, not only on ESPNU Radio, ACC Network, ESPN, college basketball analyst, doing all your soccer stuff, even getting giving some betting advice out there and hopefully yeah. you're on the plus side of all that betting advice. Year, Rich. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Shit, that's a lengthy I resume, know, man. I can't keep up with it. And you also, you even co-host a unique podcast, the Sala series with Monica McNutt. And so I definitely want to jump into that a little bit, but just overall, I should say also, don't forget you're a husband and a father. You got to throw that in there too. That's the most important yeah. thing <laughs> or two things out there. But how do you keep up with all of it? Seriously, just trying to coordinate your schedule with all of the things you're doing and even the soccer stuff, it's a lot to keep up with. Well, I appreciate that uh, That intro. It was very nice and very thorough. Uh, I'm, I'm fortunate to have a job. I'd like to have this job. We, just, we talk for a living. So I, I'm lucky to have it. I'm very aware of that. Um, and I want to work hard and try to be good at it. So it does take a lot of time. And those things that you just mentioned, uh, you know, husband, father, some of those have taken more challenges and hit, hit some problems because of some of that. Some of the trying to balance all this stuff. Um, it's, it's, it's not easy. But at the same time, it's a matter of from a, just from a preparation standpoint, it's trying to take in as much as you can, talk to as many people as you can, watch as much as you can and have educated opinions. What I hate in this business, and I hate the strong word. But there are a lot of people who do these jobs that don't watch the games. And when you do that, all you're doing is parroting either a narrative that you heard somewhere else or what you thought when you saw them one time or twice. And then that's what you think for the rest of the season. And that's not how things work. That's not how sports work. That's not how people work. Things change. Things evolve, as do teams, as do people. So you have to kind of be in touch with all this stuff. So I think it's just trying to take in as much as you can, talk to as many people as you can, and being open to like just in life. Your, your, mind, your opinion of things are going to change. And be, you know, be open and flexible to that and being open to say like, hey, yeah, I thought this in November or December. I was wrong. This is, this is where we're at now. Or I thought this last week. And maybe, maybe that ain't right. And here's, 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 here's what I've seen from these teams or here's what I've talked to and had this illuminator. Or here's what I saw in film and, and just be willing to do that. But I think it's, it just takes a lot of time. And yes, I'm looking forward to April, though. When the season's done, let's just say this, Rich and Steffi. There's a point in time every season where I'm tired of hearing myself talk. Usually that's like March yeah. 10th. I hit, I hit that on like January 31st this year. So we, oh, we, wow. we, we've, got a, we've got a long way to go. But yes. like I said, fortunate to have the job. A lot going on. But yes, when April comes around, let's take a breath. Let's watch some more soccer. Watch some F1. Maybe a little less talking for me. Just a little more selective stuff. Well, well you, you know, Rich mentioned you having so many things going on. I kind of want to ask you about just the approach from – analyst hosting multiple sports now we're in embedding and offering advice on that how have you managed to uh it's hard to be good at one thing but to be able to juggle many different roles and be good at all of them how have you been able to do that because you obviously do them all really well well thank you for the kind words i do think there's um i do appreciate that but i think there's an element as a former athlete you know like it's reps it's just work and mm -hmm. that's where i think the the analyst part of it comes naturally, and I know I've said this on different pods. I've been my career started in 06 when I graduated from college. Uh, the opportunity to be an analyst for my alma mater, Columbia University, they just kind of gave me the job because they're starting a new station. And our first game was at Duke, and I was like, took my headset off, and I'm like, okay, I have to do this. How do I do this? Because I was working in marketing and advertising, 
as my real job. So it took me five years of doing that as a side job to make the plunge and make it work. But why I tell you that part is the analyst part came naturally, and that was doing all the prep that we'd done, knowing the scouting report, watching the film, and just being a player and giving that insight and experience. It was at MSG Varsity, my first television network, where Mike Quick was instrumental in getting me a job there. He's a legend in, in New York, uh, in the tri-state area here, New York, Connecticut, Jersey, high school sports. Mike Quick was like the guy from 85 to like 2015 or so, covering games and seeing them play, seeing a lot of great players and, and built a lot of their profiles and helped them connect with different schools and help guys that weren't that good find spots and girls that weren't that good find spots and all these different things. Um, but he brought me into that network and long story short, after one year as an analyst there, they came and said, hey, do you want to be a host? We thought, you know, would you want to try that? Um, and I said, yeah, sure. I'd only played at Columbia, and I thought I had to do that to succeed in, in broadcasting. Because this is in 2011 or 2010, actually. Like, we were still in the era. If, I mean, ESPN was basically hiring only Hall of Famers. Like, if you weren't, if you weren't, if you weren't. Yeah. We, we can think about some football Hall of Famers. Two, new, two great ones come to mind. One running back and one wide receiver that have no control of the English language. But they were two of the greatest players of all time. But they got the job and they got the seat because of who they were and not because they were good broadcasters. And that's where we were. So I figured ESPN was never going to hire me as an analyst or, or NBC or CBS because they just, we just didn't do that. And it was very much limited, more limited inventory then too. So I learned to be a host and they were great. Those people, the first time I read off a prompter, I think I told Rich this, it was like aliens took over my body. <laughs> couldn't, I was a different human, couldn't talk. Yeah. <laughs> it was bad, like bad, bad. So they all summer they worked with me to be serviceable. <laughs> let's say that by the time the fall rolled around and our season started, or I'd host one show and I'd be an analyst on the other three shows of the day. We did different wow. regions, um, and it was just rep staffing. I just started to learn to do that and just take all the feedback. It's all about being a former player. I just I don't care what I do well. What has to get better? What has to get better? And I had people mm -hmm. that were willing to tell me and be honest with me and and break it down for me, and that helped me get better. And then I met people on the way. My agent that was Amy Leone was like my mom of the business. She helped me get into NBC and that helped me get to a different regional sports network as a host and reporter at NBC Sports Network. And along the way, there have been so many key people to help me keep progressing to learn the different roles. And I think now the biggest thing I think I tell people when you're a host, your job is to make your analysts look great. It's to know what they want to talk about, to get them to their spots, to make sure everybody's having fun, is connected, is to be a good point guard. Is to have everybody and to be the coaches, the coaches' eyes on the field. You're the producer's eyes, and you're you're trying to make sure the producer vision of the show comes to reality on the set uh, or on sideline, wherever you're at, and have fun with everybody and get everybody involved. When you're the analyst in TV, the analysts, in my mind, it's their show. You're the leader. You're the leading scorer. If things are going to run through you. Here's what we need to show. Here's what we need to talk about. Here are the key things, and that's your role. When you're doing each one, you can't do both at the same time. So if you're going to be the host, be the host. And set up your guys or your girls. If you're going to be the analyst, then you do that job. When you try to do both, you're doing a disservice to your crew and you're doing a disservice to yourself. So that's the one thing I would say in terms of like being versatile. Just be focused on the role you're at that day. And that's what you got to do the best. Of. And, and Dallin, you talked about just having the ability to maybe change uh, your educated opinion. But how difficult can that be when you're taught almost or expected that your original opinions got to be right and the pride that you take in being right and but having that wherewithal to in the recognition that hey based on some things that i've seen now changing and then being able to come out and state why you're changing your opinion how challenging is that i don't find it that challenging i find it like i, I i'm comfortable in my i don't know it all and that's i think that's the difference i think that's you, you take some time to realize that i do think there's a point in my career where it would be like no, I got to be right. And what I said was right. And 
in the betting stuff, you allude to that. Like, hey, bear in mind, folks, when I tell you if I'm playing it, I'm playing it. So don't yell at me about your money. It's my money, too. Okay? This isn't some... When I say on shows they make me talk about certain games because we're promoting certain games, I will say, I don't like this game, but here's what I would do. I'm not playing this game, but here's what I... You know where I'm at. And then the games I love, you know the games I love, and I'm playing them, too. So there are those things where you really want to be right because there's a monetary motivation to being right. Um... But there's always reasons you're making those plays, too. So you explain that rationale. And I do think in, in recent years, and I think it's been, as we look across the country more broadly, like the division within the country, the media ecosystem, I think there's just a pride in not ever changing your opinion. There's a pride and there's like a willful ignorance yes. uh, on both sides of the aisle, if you will, that, that people Very take that, that's not healthy. And we don't have healthy discourse. So I think part of having a discourse is being able to willing, willing and listen to sit and talk to somebody that's opposing your view. It's also being willing to say, I can change my mind. I can be valuable. I can change where I'm at. So I think it's really easy actually at times to say like, yeah, I used to think this, but that wasn't right. Or that was, this is, this has changed and they look different because these things, or they're playing different because of these things. Therefore, this team is capable of doing things differently. Or this team was, Connecticut was great at one point in the year. They stopped defending. They stopped playing committed to each other. Their shot selection is bad. That team has played worse. That team is still capable of going to a final four. And here's why. Like you can, those things can change, and you have to be willing to to just to be, you know, honest with yourself and with the audience. That like, hey, I don't know everything. In this moment, this is what I thought, but a week later, it could be different. So when you're running for president. Yeah, look, you got my vote, man. <laughs> Shit. Yo, we, we, we need we need we need somebody way better, way smarter, and way way more uh, unifying than me to do that. But I'll tell you what, if whoever's in the middle that wants new ideas, you got my vote too. Like, just give me somebody that's willing to look at a problem and address it. And I don't need your ideologies. Just tell me how we fix some stuff. Yeah. Look, I would love to see this across the political landscape, but even the sports landscape of not just yelling at the TV screen, but having humility to say, hey, I was wrong on this. Uh, Here's where, you know, here's where I thought. Here's what I'm seeing now. And, you know, you and Monica, Monica's another person I really admire, too, because she can wear a lot of different hats, just like you. Um, What's that? What's y'all's podcast been like? And, you know, what do you enjoy most about it? Because the two of you guys are great together. Thank you. And I, Monica's, she's awesome. She is the best. She's fun. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's funny. The first time we worked together was on ACC Network, probably. It was the year we launched. And I think she came in uh, to do some studio show. I don't know what it was. But, you, you know, I take, my, I take pride in recognizing talent. And I was like, as soon as I got done with her on set, I'm like, I got to work with her. How do I find a way to work with her? And it's like, from that point on, like we've been, and I, I don't think I told her that that first time out. Um, I think there's also, as we talk about evolving, I don't know if I'd have been that open with her or that vulnerable, like, look how good you are. But like, I'm like, hey, you were great versus like, how what I really thought was, I got to find a way to work with this lady. She's tremendous. And her career has taken off. And I think she, her ability to do, wear multiple hats, to be entertaining, educational, informational, mm-hmm. and just interested. I think that's where we do the Salah Series podcast. It's an interesting group. Um, and it's our outlet outside of sports. Yeah. Occasionally, we'll have some sports crossover. We've had Charles Barkley on, and we've had uh, CJ McCollum on. But when they're on, they're rarely talking sports. It's really talking society. It's talking, you know, what's going on from the business standpoint of some of their lives and sports. Um, but anyway, Salah is a group of people that are just leaders. It's a diverse group across not just race and ethnicity and gender, but what they people do across the world in terms of their uh, businesses and different verticals that are challenged, trying to solve some of the world's and country's biggest challenges, whether that be education, gun control, you know, prison reform, you know, food, food scarcity, 
nutrition. There's all types of different things we've touched on. But working with her is great because I think the best thing about both of us in terms of working together is we know we have these subject matter experts on. And Lord knows we're not the experts. But you come prepared, you ask interesting questions, just ask interesting questions and try to ask things we think an educated audience would want to ask or an interested audience would want to ask. Uh, and working with her is great. We've got a chance to call some games together at the Chris Paul's HBCU Challenge last two years, which is a great event overall. We've done those games and had a great time. We do that podcast. We do an NBA junior podcast, which is focused on coaching and kind of youth development. Um, working with great people is not, we don't always get to do that. And to work with her is truly special because she's a very talented person. And needless to say, we laugh a lot too. <laughs> yes, I know that. It'd be hard not to laugh with Monica McNutt because yep, <laughs> she's a, a laughable type of person. She just has that type of uh, energy that you gravitate towards from that perspective. All right, so transitioning to a little college basketball and the craziness that we're seeing. Who wants to be number one, Alan? <laughs> I, I can't understand it. Yeah. I mean, nobody wants to have the top spot, not even just number one, but even in the top 10. We see Texas losing last night. I mean, it's just one of these crazy type of seasons. What do you make of it so far? Um, and there's, this is, I said this last year. It's funny. I was reading a, writing a betting piece for for ESPN.com a couple weeks ago, and I'm just like looking at futures. So looking at the market ahead, you know, we're toward the end of football season. As you look ahead, here are some teams you need to know. Here are some teams you may want to bet value to get to the final four, to win their conferences, to win it all. And those futures things are hard, but it's funny. I, I'm like, can you send me what I wrote last year just as a point of reference? In the first line, it's like, never in my memory have we seen so many teams that can win a championship. <laughs> well, let's double down on that. Let's just go. re-rack that and make it bigger because there is, there even, uh, it's, there's even more parity or there's, there's just, there's no great team. There are good teams, and there are teams that are developing that could become great. Alabama could become great. They, mm -hmm. they could get there. Um, and there are a couple others. But I, I do think there are, there are a lot of good teams. And winning on the road is hard. The Big 12 is absolutely loaded, so you touch on Texas. You know, yes. Texas Tech, was a, they were a home underdog in that game. But as I was telling my co-host and Sirius yesterday, Jacob Hester, I was like, do not bet Texas. You're dying to bet Texas. That atmosphere is going to be live. I mean, Red, Lubbock does yes. not like Austin. Let's just say that. They're going to turn out, and it's going to be a tough game, uh, and they ended up winning outright. Texas Tech did. Um, but when you look, the Big 12 is absolutely loaded. They're going to have six teams in the top four seed lines. Any one of those teams could go to the Final Four. We've never seen that before, talking to Joe Lenardi about it, because there's bracketing principles about avoiding your, your own conference within the second round uh, or the Sweet Six, like different things you can do. You're not going to be able to avoid that with, the, with all those top four seeds. You're trying to separate those teams. You can't because it's just there's so many good ones. Um, in the ACC, it's kind of a different problem. You've got the middle of the conference is, is, is better than people think. It's much maligned, but it shouldn't be. NC State could go to the Sweet 16. Miami is really good, dude. They got dudes that can score, and they stretch you, and they space you, and they got Norchad O'Meara in the middle that gives them something different to a team last year that went to the Elite Eight. Pitt, much maligned. People don't know. Pitt's good. Pitt's got bucket getters, and they're about all 40 years old. They're like my age. Like They are an old... <laughs> grizzled bunch that have been around the block and some of them have come from winning programs and some of them are hungry and starved to be part of one um so the middle of that league is better than you think but there's no virginia's good they're not great so there's no true separation at the top so that, that tournament is going to be wild the big east has some great teams at the top back ends of the week but they have they have tremendous com competition throughout the league the big 10 a lot of solid teams not great teams so many in the tournament but a lot five to ten seeds you're going to see and then purdue separated totally so there's there is really is no good, no great teams, a lot of good teams. I do believe, uh, especially when I, a couple of weeks ago, Alabama to win it all was a good bet at that time. And they were plus like 400 or so, which is four to one on your money. Um, sorry, they were plus 1,000, 10 to one on your money. 
Uh, but they were plus 400 just to get to a Final Four. And I think that value is coming down because I think they do, they, you need to have balance, Rich. And Stephanie, you know this. You got to have balance on both sides. And a lot of teams, when you, when you look at the history on the men's side, the top, you got to be top 20 in efficiency offensively and defensively, usually to win a championship. That's kind of the trend in the last 10 or 15 years. And some of these teams like Purdue is great offensively, bad defensively. And you can go, Arizona's good offensively, bad defensively. You can go, you can run through them. There are very few that have been consistent on both sides. Tennessee, elite defensively, can't score on anybody. Like it's just just about so, to ask that. So there are yes. <laughs> a lot of those teams out there that have an imbalance. Can they get so far? Yeah. Can they cut down the nets in Houston? That's a different question. So I do think once we'll see the bracket, like always, we'll have a better sense. But right now we do know that there's just it's it's been fun because there's a lot of chaos. Yeah, and so, Dallin, can a team get to the Final Four that struggles offensively, even though they can play lockdown defense, but can they get to the Final Four like a Tennessee? I just don't know if, if a team can these days. You can. I just, I'm not betting on it right now. Like, yeah. I, I'd rather take a team that's very good offensively, that can score, that may be able to outscore you versus a team that's going to struggle in a one-and-done scenario like Agreed. Because defense, we know, travels and wins cha- it doesn't win championships anymore, I think. Defense travels and defense can get you to a Final Four. I do think it can get there. But you got to have the right path along the way. Like if Tennessee does play a team like a Miami, like that's a, I don't know if they're going to be able to guard them well enough. And the way that Miami can turn you over at times and pressure you, Tennessee's really loose with the rock, and they they've really struggled. And that's that's they struggle with some injuries too that have, have hurt some of their guard play. So I, I do think I'm, I would rather balance is big. But if I'm erring on one or the other right now to get to a Final Four, I may err on teams that are going to get me some buckets and find a way and have multiple yeah. ways to score. I don't want just a straight jump shooting team, but I need a team that can score in multiple ways, and I feel better about you making a run than I do of a team just holding on and, win- and surviving these games early on. I know, Dallin, we're about a month away from Selection Sunday. It's going to be here before I know it, right? Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. we're, we're going to be getting the brackets out. And one thing on the men's side in particular is these mid-majors that can come in and just bust up a bracket. For, from somebody like you who is so – focused on basketball from a whole like you're you're watching tons of games because you're giving picks you're giving gambling advice you know you're watching the spreads um how hard is it for you to pick out a few of these mid-major I mean are you just as surprised when a team goes on a run are you kind of like hey I kind of saw this trend coming I mean not saying you got to toot your own horn but you're covering it (laughs) it, it, from from really just from the tops to the mid-majors to whoever yeah I, I, with those, it really is. There are teams you like, but then the matchup really matters. And we always talk about the 12-5 matchup. The 13-4 one, though, has yielded some fruit in recent years, too. Was it, was it Cal State Bakerfield? Not Baker, was it UCSB last year? I think it was a 13-1. Like, there are teams that, that you know you like going into, because whether it's a style of play or, or if they have an absolute star. Uh, Oral Roberts, two years ago, was a team. I did their summer league final. I remember watching them. And Kevin O'Banner, who's now at Texas. I guess it was three years ago. Three tournaments ago now. Um, Watching him and watching that team, the way they space the floor, where they score the ball, I was like, they're going to give somebody a lot of trouble. Did I think they were going to beat Ohio State? No. But did I bet the hell out of them getting 16, 16 points? Yes. Because I was like, they can score and they could, they could defend enough. And Ohio State didn't have at the time a dominant post presence to exploit some of their weaknesses. So you, you can like teams as you're going through the process. Kent State is really good this year. Really like Kent State's team. They could be a team that if they, if they get, because it is always a lot of times, if they get in, because the MAC is usually a one-bid league. If you get in, then you reassess and see what their actual individual matchup is. And there are a lot of times that we won't be surprised given that because you're, you're playing a pretty good high major. But a lot of times you, you won your regular season and or you won your conference tournament. 
you got some really good players. They won a championship. But that team's really good against a team that maybe has struggled through part of the high major season. They have good players, but they're not overly dominant. So I wouldn't say we're surprised all the time. It's just that really it becomes about the matchups. And I, I, there are times that are true that I do see teams like Kent State. I hope they get in because I know I like that team. I like their versatility. So now it's a team coming in, but you got to. It's hard to take your bias out though, too. Because I'm going to want to pick <laughs> exactly, them, yeah. But you know, you know that you've had them kind of circled and thought about, like and 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 wondered if they get there, what could they do? So, um, but yeah, like did I have St. Peter's last year? Absolutely not. <laughs> and everything St. Peter's had done up to that point proved that they were not going to win a game, but they won three of them. So like they couldn't score at all during the regular season. They were a great defensive team, but they went on a run. Like that stuff. I have no clue. I mean, I had Kentucky in the final last year. So I, I burned my bracket on day one. So there you go. <laughs> well, we know the craziness. It's hard to predict uh, on the men's side what teams might make a run. National player of the year, though. Is that locked up? Is it Zach Eady and that's it? I think it is. I mean, he's just – he's so dominant. And it's it's been interesting watching different coaches, whether it be Tom Izzo um, – at times, and we saw blanking on last week. Oh, Indiana, Mike Woodson kind of but it was one versus one versus Trace Jackson Davis. Yes. They weren't going to double. So it's like there have been coaches that have said, You can go, Edie can get his. We're going to shut off everybody else. Mm-hmm. And that may be the approach to beat them. I don't know. They lost to Northwestern this weekend and in a remarkable collapse. They got two freshman guards that have been good all year, but were really bad late in that game. And that, that's why I don't like them in the tournament because veteran guards do matter. Um, but to your question, the National Player of the Year race, I think it is just pretty much Edie. I do vote on the, the Wooden Award. Um, and I imagine that like he'll, he'll run away with that. But Jalen Wilson, I think, is a worthy second. And there are others that are, that are in the – Trace Jackson Davin, yes. Davis is a, is, a, is a worthy you know, guy to be a second or third. But I think overall, he's just outright dominance from – really from start to where we're at right now and probably finish. Puts him as the, as the prohibitive favorite without a doubt. And then for freshman of the year, and Brendan Miller, obviously Alabama. You got Keontae George at Baylor. I mean, these names – where do you put your stock in one of those guys? And could like a Brandon Miller even be mentioned not only for freshman of the year, but could he be one of the top five All-Americans in the country? That's a good question. I think because there's been so – where NIL has helped the, the lead that the, got with men's college basketball will be we've, – we've already shown a little bit, and especially with bigs. Oscar Sheway coming back, not having a good year, but the reigning national player of the year. Drew Timmy back, Trace Jackson Davis back. Um, there are others that I'm on to Baycott back. They came back because they're getting paid about seven figures plus to come back and play basketball and, and, and be and receive money for the value they bring to brands and to their mm-hmm. schools. So it's, that, that's exactly how NIL is supposed to work, and it's benefiting college basketball. But because of some of those guys coming back, I think that does preclude a guy like Brandon Miller maybe from breaking mm-hmm. through enough to be in the top five discussion. He's been very good. He's getting 19 points a game. He's leading the, the, the nation in terms of freshman scoring. He's going to be a top five pick. He's an absolute stud, all three-level scorer. Um, but when you're physical with him, you get a little rough with him, he can get taken out of games a little bit. And we've seen some teams do that. Oklahoma, very successful. Even at Auburn this past weekend, yeah, he got a little frustrated. That's understandable mm-hmm. for a freshman. And not that the other guys that are going to be All-Americans don't get frustrated at times. I just think they're, they're a little more polished and have had a more consistent dominance. That they're, Jalen Wilson, another one, they're, that are going to be in that discussion. Although Miller's going to be second-team All-American. I would be surprised if he gets first. Second, maybe third-team All-American and, and definitely freshman of the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think that's a question. Uh, any underdogs that we, we haven't necessarily talked about or maybe that are flying under the radars? We head into maybe the NCAA tournament that you could put on our radar for us? I love Creighton. I mean, and they, they've come down. Their value has come down a lot. When I wrote that article again, it was like a couple weeks ago now. It was plus 1,200. When I looked it up, I was like, well, I'm going to put some money on that. 
to get to the final four, uh, to win it all, they were like plus 4,000. I didn't go that far. But again, I, I like balance. Ryan Kalkbrenner was hurt. I had mono. Excuse me, hurt. But I had mono, missed three games, and they went on a six-game losing streak midseason. But if you remember, in the, in the preseason, they were ranked in the top 10. They've got great, versatile guard play. Nebhard's a really good guard. Kaluma's versatile wing player. Uh, Baylor Shireman, transferred from South Dakota State, used to be the Summit League Player of the Year. Can really get you buckets and facilitate offense. But Kalkbrenner's a huge bit. Seven-footer. Gives him great rim protection. Good rim runner. Uh, can score on the other end. Gives him inside-outside scoring. Like I said, versatility in the offense and the defensive side of the ball. Um, I like that team a lot, and they're hot now. I think they've won eight straight. So now what does scare me, let's be honest here, they started talking about on game day this past weekend. And I said, I want to say to Reese, don't do that. As soon as you start, you guys start, <laughs> just it ain't going to happen. We're just going to we're going to torpedo. So there's like, <laughs> I love that pick before, but now everybody like they, 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 you could see that about three weeks ago where they were going and now they're, they're kind of showing up there. And I think they're going to be a team that's going to be really tough to beat. Uh, I like Marquette's team a lot. I think Shaka Smart's done a fantastic job with them. Um, very versatile group. Again, they can really score defensively. They have, they can struggle at times, but uh, Baylor's a team that is coming on. And I think that people like, they just, they went 0 3 in Big 12 play to start, and people just kind of tossed them aside. Mm -hmm. Now they had injury issues to Adam Flagler and LJ Cryer. Those are two of the best guards in the country. They weren't fully healthy. They're fully healthy. Keontae George, who Richmond mentioned before, is one of the best freshmen in the country. Uh, Jonathan Chama Chachua used to be Chachua. Now it's Chachua. Let's get that right every day, John. <laughs> oh, I've got to remember He's, that now. Chachua, yes. Chachua. They were very clear about yes. that in the broadcast. I was like, oh, we've been calling him Chachua the whole time. That's okay. right. Um, but he's back from a horrific knee injury last year. So, so happy for that young man. But he provides tons of energy, offensive rebounding, you know, defensive presence inside and some scoring inside. So I think Baylor is really trending in the right direction. And they're, they're back in the top 10, but I just feel like they're not being discussed much. They do go on the road to KU on Saturday. So I think you, you win that game, they're back on everybody's uh, radar. I think those are a couple teams. Kansas State, which Rome Tang has done there, has been outstanding. They've hit a rough patch, though, but I still think they're a – a team that people should should really be aware of. Uh, I think I already mentioned Miami. Uh, love Miami's team. They're they're finally getting a little bit of love too. But uh, I've been talking about them for a while. So those are those are some that, that come to mind. For Texas, your thoughts on what Rodney Terry's been able to do, and does he have a shot getting the interim tag pulled off and be a permanent head coach, or you think they're going to go outside? He sure should have a shot. Like they should, he should be in, in like a massive candidate and one on the short list. And I, I still think they should go through their search and assess what they have. But um, he's done a great job. I think Christian Bishop also said it this past weekend, Low, that's a mature group of guys. And they knew what they wanted to do. And although Chris Beard has that situation going on, which is way more important and, for, and very unfortunate for, for his fiance and in some regards him as well, but they knew what they wanted to do. And they knew how they had to get, get there. And Rodney Terry has rallied the troops and focused them back in. And they, this is a collective group, but Rodney Terry's done an outstanding job. And I think he should definitely be in the discussion. They're a team that could get to the Final Four. I'm not sure I see them being able to win it, but they're a team that, that has the ability to, to get there. They are unique in the fact that they have a lot of different guys that can score in different ways, and a lot of different guys can go off. So Jabari Rice, by the way, had 24 points on 17 minutes played the other day. <laughs> That's, That's efficient insane that's beyond efficient i don't know yes. what that is like that i was like blown away and he's got a wicked shot fake but uh that team is capable of of making a run and rodney terry absolutely should be in the discussion rich i just want to squeeze one more question in who would your coach of the year be this this season uh that's a good question a i would i would probably lean to you know nate Oates has done a very good job um, but Jerome Tang, I think overall is a fact. If Kansas State has to hold on, hold on down the stretch, the guy had two 
two players on scholarship last spring. He goes and, and builds a roster, and he gets really good transfers, and that's part of that is part of modern coaching. We can't poo-poo that. You got to go. You have to identify talent and identify guys that have been that have had success at a different level, or guys that are off the scrap heap that people did not value that you bring in and you build up and you give confidence to and you help develop, and and they improve. And whether that be Desi Sills, who came from Arkansas, or Keontae Johnson, who had that awful issue, Pat, like collapsing on the court yes. in Florida yeah. a couple years ago and finally getting back on the floor. Like, what he's he's the best story in college basketball. Of course. And his coach is the best, the best coaching story in college basketball. But he brought these guys together and he's turned that program around on a dime and, and, and the, in the hardest conference in the country. So if he can hold on and keep getting results down the stretch, like I said, they went, they've gone through some struggles here, he would get my vote as coach of the year right now, just given where they were and where they're at. I like that. One last question then. Talk about Kansas State, but what about Kansas and your experience working there in Allen Fieldhouse? What was that like? Oh, it was a dream come true. That was <laughs> that was awesome. And big up, big shout out to our my guy David Seisser, the CP of college basketball at ESPN. I said to him probably about three years ago, I was like, is there any way I can do a game at the fog? I ask like I, I pride myself on asking them of nothing. The only thing I ask of, can I do the Ivy League tournament? Lord knows nobody's beating down their door for that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. That, I, that I get. That's a and lot. I'm very excited. And that, that I'm excited to do. I've done it every year we've had it. it. just came into existence in 2017. I just asked to do that. And the one thing I did say was, hey, can at any point, can I do a Kansas game? And I don't care if they're playing a Division three school. Can I, can I just get to the fog? And I'm not going to pay for it, clearly. I want to go there. I want to sit on the sidelines. <laughs> I want to call a game. I want to see the, the rules that are there, the rules of basketball that James Naismith wrote. I want to experienced that and yeah this year I got to see them play Seton Hall at home uh and it was truly a remarkable experience for for a you know a lifelong basketball fan a student of the game it was it was awesome to sit there and kind of experience it um and there's one random funny st- story about going on air so we're on air and the fans are right behind you and there's a young kid behind us and Roger Ayer is one of the best officials in the in the game he comes over with a game ball we're about to come on air and the game's about to start hands this young boy the ball he's probably about five years old we were just about to come on, and I'm like, I've never seen that before. The kid's all juiced up to hold the ball, but to do that, he's now standing out of his seat. He steps down on my mic cord. Oh, no. So it, like, pulls my head down. Oh, no. So if you go back and watch the open, like, <laughs> I can't lift my head up. So I'm, like, looking at Mark Neely, like, so in my head, I'm like, this is an amazing experience. This is so great. I can't move. And the, well, finally, the kid moved, and I could move my neck as we got going. But oh, man. It was an interesting way to come on air, but the experience yeah. overall was truly special, uh, truly memorable, and it was everything I thought it would be, and more, really. That is definitely on my bucket list. And we can't thank you enough, Dallin, for jumping on. I know you're a busy man, but we really appreciate it. It's been an honor and can't wait to continue following your career and watching how many other activities you're going to be involved in. (laughs) Thank you, guys. It was great to be on with you. Truly appreciate the kind words and enjoyed it. Thank you. All right, Steffi, I, I know I thoroughly enjoyed that. And again, we joked how busy he is, but I'm telling you, Dallin is all over the place. Yeah, and you know, he's he's so talented because to be able to juggle that many different roles and being able to do them really well, like as someone who has auditioned for similar things and has been absolutely shitty at them, <laughs> I, I can tell you that it is it is a it is very impressive when someone can come along and do multiple things, multiple sports. And, and writing and, you know, what, what he's been able to do uh, is just really impressive. And it, we got tons of insight on, on men's college basketball. So that was awesome to hear.
is fantastic. And he's such a great guy and again, helped launch ACC network and, you know, all of that. And even when I had him on my podcast, he tells the story of him doing some uh, soccer coverage in the Olympics, but he had to go learn Portuguese. And he's that type of guy that would learn Portuguese just so he could help host some of the soccer content. That's ridiculous. Now, he did go to Columbia, so he's a smart dude also. You know? Yeah, yeah. We, so we, does, aren't, we aren't in the same IQ category. Uh, no, not even close. Yeah. <laughs> not even close. Now, off air, we did talk to him a little bit about the women's game and just South Carolina, LSU. He watches some of the big games, and obviously there's a lot of people watching that game on on Sunday. And I think just from a perspective, it almost went the way I thought. I don't know if I mm-hmm. thought it was going to be a beat down the way it was, but South Carolina just looks unstoppable. Yeah. I was thinking that they would win by about 15. I think if this game was at LSU, probably would have been a little different because, mm-hmm. you know, they'd have their home crowd and, you know, the eight, the 18,000 fans at Colonial Life, it, it was great. Um, I think I think South Carolina showed who how the how the actual f can yes. you stop them? You can when you bring six seven off your bench. Yes, and she Cardoza. can get a double double for you. I know she it. is so she has gotten so much better. And when her and Aaliyah Boston are out there together, Rich, I, I know Kim Mulkey said after game, how the hell do you stop that? <laughs> You know, you don't grow six, seven overnight. No, that's right. Can't but, coach that. You can't. And I think, you know, it was, I think it was a really big statement win for South Carolina, just in terms of, hey, there's two remaining unbeatens. They come into our place and they just put the smack down on it. Here's what I'll say as a side tangent, as I usually have one every week, fielding, fielding people's responses about their dominance hurting the game. All the they, everyone wants they see the, all the upsets on the men's side, and I get it, obviously, you know with you know Northwestern and Purdue, the way that Tennessee went down back to back to Vanderbilt and to Missouri. Yep. it's the uh, now UConn was great for so long. Now South Carolina is good. Was the was the what, the score bad for women's college? I'm like, can we just appreciate a team when they're really good? Exactly. What's wrong? What with am that? I missing? What I am know. I missing, Rich? Because I'm like. Okay, I mean, they won the title last year, and they're actually really good. I'm sorry that the game was maybe not as close as you wanted on this particular game. LSU might have been a little bit overrated. They were undefeated. Okay, I still think they're a really good team, but it probably wouldn't. Be, it wasn't the same score against Connecticut or Stanford or whatever. We just it just happened to be a really big game on Super Bowl Sunday. So it's people who don't really watch and then get that small glimpse, and it's not a big game or it's not a close game, and I'm like. If you've been watching, then you've seen Stanford, you know, Stanford and Connecticut and Iowa. I mean, they're Indiana now. Indiana's in the hunt. So that was like a small takeaway. I was like, really? Really? Yes. Dallin talked about it, that there's people that don't really know the game because they're not watching the games. They're just going off of a generalization, a national narrative from wherever it might come from. And that's way prime example in that game. Because yes, the end score was obviously lopsided. But if you watch that entire game, LSU, they made their run. 
they they got it within single digits, and it was getting a little close there. Alexis Morris, I mean, she was going off. I mean, they couldn't stop her. And even Dawn Staley talked about it at halftime. That yeah. they, She's they like, I want her on my team. Yes. <laughs> they didn't have an answer for her. And it was just unfortunate that Angel Reese and her weren't complimenting each other. It was one was having a big game, the other was not. But LSU was not out of that game completely. But as we talked about it last week, I think both of us felt that it was going to be too much for LSU just from four quarters to be able to hang with South Carolina just because of the heavy rotation and being able to bring in, you know, the likes of Camilla Cardoza coming off the bench and, you know, how you're going to be able to defend that. And I think that was the big thing. But yes, you got to watch the game. and. Who cares if South Carolina is a dominant team? Because then that gets into that discussion of you going to take South Carolina or are you going to take the field? You know, who are you going to take? And I'm still I'm taking South Carolina. You can You've have been the on field. South Carolina undefeated all, yes. all year. I will give yes. you that that win against LSU. I was like, I mean, I'm looking at them now like y'all shouldn't lose a game. I like, oh, y'all exactly. should not That's right. lose a game. You know, sometimes a coach doesn't mind, you know, maybe losing one to keep them hungry. But I'm I'm watching them and I'm like, nah, they they should not lose a single they game not. this year. They can be tested and they have been tested. Um, but I, I don't I, after watching Indiana Rich, oh, Indiana okay. is uh, you're getting on I mean, that bandwagon, sitting, huh? They're well, honestly, I watched them in the non-conference against Tennessee. And Grace Burgers, her point guard, is about six foot. She can guard. She can distribute. But Mackenzie Holmes. Um, I mean, they've got off. a lot. Yeah, yeah, they got a lot of really good players, play experience. That would be a really fun game to watch, South Carolina oh, yes. versus Indiana. So um, anyway, yeah, it, was a, it wasn't as close, but a really good statement win for South Carolina. And just another crazy week in men's college basketball. We covered that with Dallin. But yes, holy hell, Tennessee, I just, man, the back-to-back buzzer. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I oh, my it. God. I've, I, I'm not putting money on Tennessee just because they can't score. And I know that defense travels, and we used to say defense wins championships, but now you've got to be able to score. That's just the reality of it. And I just don't think they have the dudes that can do that on a consistent basis. Not to say yeah. they can't have some of their games, but I'd be very fearful of Tennessee at this point. But that is it for another episode of Automatic. And as always, we greatly appreciate you listening. And make sure you hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcast. And we'll be back next week. This is Automatic.